everybody, this is Nancy Miller from My Creative Life, and today I'm very excited. I have a co-host with me today, and she is Robin Mallory. Hi, Robin. Thanks Hello. for being here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And then we are interviewing our illustrious book illustration professor, Professor Brian Bose. Hi, Professor. How are you doing today? Greetings. I'm doing well. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Um, we both enjoyed your class immensely, book illustration. I can't say enough about what we learned through it. And, you know, I have to, a little backstory. Robin <laughs> had had you before from Materials and Techniques, wasn't it? Uh, 701 yes okay yeah. but <laughs> those numbers they're like out by one ear out the other but she was like no Nancy you have to because I asked her about your class and she said you have to take it he is a very good professor and so I was on the fence I was like oh I heard it's a lot of work but I'm so glad I took it so good good props on you for pushing me to take the leap so can you tell the audience a little bit about the moment you knew you wanted to become an artist illustrator? Well, those are two different questions. So artist is, I mean, who knows when that was? I think I have, my dad has a picture of me, like when I'm like just a little shaver and, and uh, like I'm literally drawing on the walls, <laughs> you know, and he said, and the, in the picture you can see like little Brian doesn't know if he's in trouble yet or not. He's <laughs> like, ah. You know, so um, I think that that uh, who knows? I think that 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 sort of um, nascent um, uh, you know ability was cultivated over years of you know supportive parents and you know all that kind of good stuff. So that's that's where that comes from. And who knows, uh, you know, about all that? But as far as illustration, I really didn't even know illustration was a thing for a long time. Um, I you know I'd gone through and and actually. Um, had worked on a bunch of things and and drawn posters for rock bands and all kinds of stuff and it never occurred to me that that was a real job so um, <laughs> I was uh, let's see <clears throat> so I'll, I'll tell you a story so I so I worked at a, a tree farm a nursery um, with plants not babies the <laughs> green kind and so um, it was during the winter months and this was in northern California so it was rainy and um, once the property flooded it's like 18 acres once it flooded it was like oh, everybody goes home and so it was a rainy day and I didn't really you know, it was like I got the it got the free day you know and and uh, so I drove um out into the mountains to near where a friend of mine lives um friends of mine I should say uh live out in the mountains and I was sitting there and I was like okay well now we're really gonna do it and you know I was gonna have this stern talking to with myself and I'm thinking to myself you know like what are you going to do with your life? You know? Um, so I sat there and I looked over this beautiful vista. I was really ready to like dive in deep, you know? And then like seconds later, I was like, Oh, illustration. So, uh, <laughs> and so that came about because I was doing also simultaneously, I was going to junior college. I was studying graphic design. And so, uh, which is a longer story, but, um, I was in the library and I was looking at uh, Illustrator's Annual 41. I could tell you that John Rush is on the cover of it. I could, you know, all kinds of stuff. But I remember looking through that, that book and like just really for the first time, like, oh, you know, like the proverbial light shown up from the book and everything like that. And uh, I'd seen a piece by Alan Lee and uh, I was like, that is what I wanna do. So it was really sort of a combination of those things. It was really during that time period that I found out that there was a thing called illustration and, and I'd been studying graphic design. So when I graduated from the junior college, um, I went to the California College of Arts and Crafts and studied illustration. 
um, and then went on from there. Awesome, awesome. Well, can you talk a little bit about your graduate experience? I'm sorry, here we go off of the deep end, but the graduate <laughs> experience, because I know you brought in some interesting stories about some of the professional illustrators you were working with, like Betsy, okay. you had mentioned that she was a mentor of yours. I found that fascinating. Who um, was one? Was who? Uh, Betsy Lewin? Oh, that? Betsy Lewin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. I thought she was great, and you um, suggested I look at some of her books. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk about that experience? Because graduate school is such a commitment to say, hey, I'm going to go to graduate school. I'm sure that just didn't pop in your head one day, or maybe it did. I don't know. But I wanted to hear a little bit more about that. <laughs> yeah, it did. It's just really, you know, all up, all I have upstairs is just two squirrels playing ping pong. That's all that's really <laughs> happened up there. Skadak, 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 skadak. Thoughts come in, thoughts go out. It's, you know, um, golly, you know, I mean, that's so uh such a broad question well i mean and so i mean yeah uh betsy and ted lewin were teachers uh, i went to the hartford art school um mfa programs a low residency program um it's currently um being uh spearheaded by cf Payne. um and at the time that i was going it was um under the guidance of murray tinkleman and so um you know, there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot to say about all that, but um, I just found myself at a place in life where sort of the world was my oyster. I could do anything I wanted to do. Um, and sort of the, the bottom had fallen out. It's, things had shaken up and, uh, you know, it's more like you start <laughs> not even at ground zero. It was, you know, more like ground negative zero, but um, the, you know, so I started thinking about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> I could just tell stories for days, but the, uh, but the, I realized that, that there was a, there's a, um, a friend and a mentor of mine, his name's Mark Eanes, and he was a drawing and painting teacher of mine at the California College of Arts and Crafts. And so he, he, he's such a good teacher, um, but he did a thing where he would constantly repeat things. Um, and one of the things that he would repeat and talk about was uh, there's a book called Letters to a Young Poet, uh, and it's about uh, Rene Rilke, who's a poet. And uh, the gist goes something like this. So there's a student, a teacher, and Rilke. Rilke's the poet, and the teacher and Rilke are friends. And so um, the student says one day to the teacher, like, you know, I'd really love to send some of my stuff over to Rilke, see, you know, and so the teacher makes it happen and the student sends off these poems to Roka and in short part of Roka's response uh well I guess I should say so part of what the the student is asking Roka is you know here's my poems am I good enough to be a poet and um so Roka's response was essentially you know you're asking outside for inside answers <laughs> you know that um you know, the first question you really need to ask yourself is, is this a necessity? And then build your life accordingly. You know, so when I found myself in a situation where, you know, sort of like I could do anything, go anywhere and do whatever I wanted to, um, I found myself asking that question, you know, is this a necessity? And in the, in the, uh, the quick answer is yes. You know, like it was like, that's not even a question. So all I did was I started to, you know, at that point, I got myself a studio space and I started going there, you know, 9 a.m. every day or thereabouts, trying to go there every day and starting to work on stuff and building my way. And, and um, graduate school, I mean, 
I can get into the whole process of the decision process of going to Hartford and why. Um, suffice it to say that it's basically because that's where the big kids were playing. Like I saw the faculty, I was like, oh yeah, that's, those are the guys. Uh, so, um, but I also th looked at places like SVA, you know, I knew that New York City would eat me alive. I have no desire to go to New York City. I mean, like it's great to visit, don't get me wrong, but um, I, I think for me to live there, would, I would just be, I would fold me in two and, and kick me to the curb. Um, and there's also, there's a really great program over in uh, London. Actually, a friend of mine, Julia, went to that program, which was, looks amazing. Um, but I really liked the Hartford Low Residency Program um, because uh, it's a low residency. So I could stay in Santa Cruz. <laughs> get my master's degree so part of it was the you know like if it's about going to school and you know you have to ask yourself why you're doing it and some of it is like if it's just about skills you know if it's just about skill building there's a lot cheaper ways to do that and you can still go get you know I mean you can go to the illustration uh, master course which is IMC with Rebecca Gay and, and Donato Giancola and uh, all those people, uh, you know, you can go and just go for weeks and learn with them. And that would be a great way to learn how to make really good illustrations. But I knew that um, I wanted to have a piece of paper at the end of it and, uh, and I wanted to teach as well. So, um, you know, all that <laughs> and more, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a challenging, it's a challenging proposition why people go to graduate school. And, and um, I think, you know, Everybody has to kind of come to those answers on their own. Thanks, thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that. So, because you teach materials and techniques, Robin told me she'd taken that class with you, which is pretty awesome. So you have a wide range of materials that you're comfortable using, but I've noticed in the book illustration class, you, you seem to have a preference for certain media. Can you talk to us about which are your favorites and why? Oh, my favorites know who they are. My favorites know who they are. Uh, I, you know, I don't. I think it's. I had a teacher who. Um, I think it was. Uh, I'm trying to think if it was if it was Dougald Sturmer, if it was Murray Tinkleman. I can't remember which one it was right now. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna go with Dougald. Um, so Dougald, I believe, said to me one of those two. Anyway, um, that there's two kinds of artists. There's painters and there's drawers. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, basically, you know, I fell into the drawing category. I like to draw. I like to draw a lot. And so for me, you know, media that helps to support that is really good. So you get into things like pastels, you can get into watercolors, you can get into pencils, you get into markers, you get into ink, you get into stuff like that, because it's all like basically a drawing medium. Um, and so things like, yeah, you know, like acrylics and oils, and I've, I've worked in those medias as well, and I totally see the attraction to it. Um, but for me, you know, like, given my druthers, I'd rather draw. I'd rather draw. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, Rob and I were checking out your one book. You shared it with us in class. Is that the one with the whole, this, um, the, the whole story? Yeah, it's the one with the pen and ink that you showed us. Um, so really love the pen and ink. I think that, oh yeah, we got it right here. So yeah, it's the whole story mm -hmm. of, uh, yes. my eyesight's so bad, of Kirby the Sneak and Arlo the True by Greg Williamson illustrated by Brian Bose. So the pen and ink in that, I just really love it. It reminds me of 
you. I was like, oh my gosh, if I didn't know who illustrated this, I was like, this, uh, I felt like, did you feel that way? Yes. The personality. It was very distinct. Yeah, like, distinct. And it's like, it was a lot of fun to look at the illustrations in that. So how do you know? That's the question. How do you know which one? Because I know you also do your watercolor as well. Those are beautiful, but they're just, that's a different almost side of who you are as an illustrator. So I was like, how do you know which one you're going to use on the project? Or do they tell you? I didn't know, or if that was just internally. No, no, it's, it's a, that, that was a financial decision. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so, and I'll say that, that um, Greg contacted me. He was, he was a dream client, oh my gosh. Um, he contacted me, and, and this will happen to you as well when you tell people you do children's book illustration. Everybody's got like their sister's best friend has their cousin who wrote a children's book, and they want you to now illustrate it for $10 or whatever it is, um, and you politely tell them no. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what happens. People, you know, they'll, they'll find your website, they'll, you know, wherever you advertise, people will say, oh, well, I wrote a children's book, and I want you to, to illustrate it for me. Um, and so I, I, the first thing is I would build a line of defense against that, which is you just make a questionnaire that you can just fire back to them and, and make sure that the questions pointedly ask about money and ask about, you know, what they're going to do and all this other stuff. Cause most of the times those are rookie clients, I call them. Um, but Greg called me up or emailed me rather and said, um, you know, Hey, I've got this amount of money. Uh, I've got a book that I'm doing this and I want to do that. And what can we do for that? You know? And so already what you saw is somebody who realized that they were hiring a professional and it wasn't just like somebody who was doing it for a lark. And, um, so we went through and we figured it out. And so he sent over his manuscript, which is like a delight that I don't know if you've actually read that book all the way through. I see you have a copy of it, but like, yeah, if, yeah it's like at some point, aren't you like, was this? <laughs> like it's 2000 lines long and it's a poem and it rhymes and he doesn't doesn't make up any words it's amazing um and so you know we, we kind of like okay well here's what i can do for that amount of money and so i parsed it out over the entire book i said you know three double page three single page three vignettes or something along those lines um and then the cover image and so you know we figured out that and i paced it throughout the book and all that kind of stuff and we got with him, it was never like never shorter than a 90 minute phone call with Greg. He was amazing. We were totally just like, oh, yeah, you like that? I love that. Yeah, that's great. We started talking about things. And, you know, at some point, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, I was looking at these things called astrolabes. He's like, astrolabe. You know, we, so he started to rewrite the poem, like while it's at the publishers, the publishers are like, what are you doing? He's like, ah, I'll just add a few. Like, you know, so it was really great. And then about probably about three quarters of the way through, he's like, you know what? Let me go see if I can find some more money for you. I was like, that sounds great. <laughs> so uh, he went and found me more money and, and all that kind of stuff. So the, the whole process was fantastic, you know, from that point of view. But but your question is about like how do you decide what to do? And and um I mean, in this case, I knew that I, I was asking about the quality of paper. I was asking, like, what's the end result, right? Because it's not a book until it's a book. So what's the end result? What are we going to be dealing with? Um, what are the financial considerations here? What can you do for that amount of money? Um, and all that kind of stuff. And recognizing, too, that there's other benefits besides money as well. You know what I mean? There's there's other other things that, you, that are valuable. Um, but, the, um, but those are the kind of decisions that I went through and did that. And... Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Because like the other book you showed us initially, um, and sorry to give away all the things from your class because I just really enjoyed that. The 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 book, that art book that you that you worked story, with. It's called the Story of the Fisherman. Yes, and so that was gorgeous. I could I couldn't afford that one. <laughs> That's out of my budget, but it's a beautiful book, and it's like got that beautiful fold out and all that. But that seemed like from hearing you talk about that that there were considerations and a lot of what you wanted to see happen with the book was accounted for, which is very different than what you imagine maybe say a bigger publisher or, you know, so that one you decided that you were going to do the pen and ink and that you were going to have those folds out. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that was with a, not without experimentation too. Um, you know, some of what we didn't look at in class. I mean, so that book, that book is made by um, a couple, um, Larry Van Velzer and Peggy Gothold and Peggy and Larry um, are Fool's Cap Press and they live in Santa Cruz. And that's, that's a whole story into itself, how I met them. But um, basically because Larry and does um, letterpress printing and Peggy does all the bindery work and all that kind of stuff, that they, they're able to do whatever they want, you know? And it was really early on in the conversations when, it, when they were like, you know, I was like, oh, well, you know, we'll do a 32 page picture, but like kind of like had this sort of like structure in my mind. They're like, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like really like threw open the barn door um, and which was really refreshing. And and, um, you know, I'm so fortunate to have gotten to work with them because they're, you know, and I don't use the term lightly. They're like they're masters of their craft. They really understand what they're doing and they understand how to put things together. Um, and because I mean, it's like we're talking about grad school. It's like what you want to do is you want to go play with the kids on the upper playground. I always go play with the older kids. And so like when uh, and I'm really glad I really know who they were before I met them because I would probably really intimidated. But like the um, the sort of like level of work that they were doing really helped me sort of raise my game as well. Um, and that's the you know, that rising tide thing. And so with regards to the drawing and the structure of the book and all that part of it was yeah it ended up being a pen and ink um because I, I like drawing a pen and ink but like the early on we did experimentations with other media you know like as far as different mark making things because it was ultimately going to be print letterpress right so we know that that's going to be part of the equation so how can you make a plate how you can get different textures in there and all that kind of stuff so i tried some things um that would have worked that would have worked you know but i think it's just because i have a predilection towards pen and ink drawing so um, you encourage us to, of course, look at a lot of children's books and read them in your class if that was, you know, or whatever type of book you were interested in making for your class to be really vested in looking at what's out there. So who are some of the book illustrators that you admire that you're looking at um, that you share with us? I just like looking back at my bookshelf back over there, like everybody, I don't know, uh, you know, all of them. I, you know, I think that I was just talking with, with somebody else about this, that, that like I, I, somewhere along the lines, I realized sort of like the folly of the young artist is that they go out there and I, I certainly do this. I walked out there. And I was like, I'm going to be so unique. 
I'm going to be so singular and I will be nothing else will be like, I don't want to look at anybody else's work because I don't want to be influenced by anything. I'm so special. And so, um, you know, I just wanted like the sheer radiance and brilliance to bring people to their knees so that they could weep tears of joy when they looked upon my artwork. Um, I have since sort of backed off of that a little bit. And um, what I've come to is a place where one, I want to make good work. Like that's, that's the, like, is it good? Is it the best that I could do right now? Is it good? You know, not even like the best, it's just good. And so that helps me to sort of relieve some of that pressure. And then the other thing is that I want to become so inspired by so many different people that nobody can spot one. Right. So, I mean, we can go through and, and talk about different, different illustrators and different artists and things like that. Um, but it's just really I think more of, um, for me, it's it's looking to see why you like something. Like, it's not just simply enough to say, I like this, it's pretty. Well, what about it? You know, I mean, um, if, you know, like you're graduate students, like you can use the language of art, you know, like that's what that language is there for. Like, is it the color? Is it the shapes? Is it the rhythm? Is it the pattern? Is it the, you know, what is it about it? Is it the stylization? Is it the exaggeration? Is it the narrative quality? Is it the composition? Is it, you know, all of those all of those things? And so when you start to do that, you don't have to like everything about somebody's work, but you might be like, wow, man, the storytelling, and that's really good. Um, actually, one, one, one thing, uh, one book that springs to mind is uh, I, I did a deconstruction of uh, Beagle by Dan Santat. Um, and so, you know, looking at that, I mean, some of his storytelling really is laid bare. Like once you really start to peel back the top layers of it and, and do more than just go along for the ride, yeah, you know, I would definitely say as far as children's books go, I mean, Judy Shackner has got to be one of my spirit animals. I just adore her work and her storytelling is so sincere um, that, you know, just it touches me. But, um, you know, golly, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, there's so much stuff. I mean, recently, I don't know, Laura, Laura Call, uh, uh, wasn't it? Laura Carlin did a book called The Iron Giant, which is fabulous. Um, there is um, uh, Gilles Bacalet, boy, I'm probably mispronouncing that name. Uh, he does this hilariously overdrawn um, animals and all kinds of stuff, which is really delight. Um, there's a book called The Illustrator in America, which is just a history book. And so from there, you can start to dig into people like uh, A.B. Frost or T.S. Sullivan or other people who use two initials in a last name. Um, there is, you know, Ernest H. Shepard, who did the Winnie the Pooh stories. There's, you know, I mean, there's, you know, it's just like, just like once you start pulling that thread on the sweater, it's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of sweater there. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of sweater there. <laughs> <laughs> that's all great i mean i appreciate you know you sharing those inspirations and doing your little story time and reading them for us because it you know it made me go like he's a professional this is what professionals do and if professionals are doing this and i want to be a professional then it's okay to do those things so i appreciated that a lot uh, my next question is because you do such amazing work, it's like, why, why do you choose to teach? Because teaching is such a time-consuming investment in somebody else's, you know, learning and growth. And mm -hmm. I know you've, you've talked to us about having experience with the high school students, being that coordinator for that program mm -hmm. in California, but why do you choose to teach? What inspired you to do it? 
you know <clears throat> that's a that's a that's a that's a that's a question so i think that um some of it's you know the mother of necessity um you know uh so the program that was in california was with yeah it was with younger kids it wasn't with high school it was younger than that but oh, okay. but um but that was really interesting and i knew i guess really early on when i was in college like when i went like illustration two or whatever it was you know like um and i you know I think about this often, but I had a teacher and I was just like, I could do this. I could do a better job at this than you are. And I don't even know anything, but of course that's my own bravado uh, sort of calling forth there. But um, so I knew that when I got my graduate um, uh, degree, my MFA that I wanted to teach as well. And, you know, it's just really about a yes and sort of uh, approach to, you know, life in general. Um, and the, you know, there's something wonderful about also passing along all this stuff. I think, you know, it was also supported by a lot of different people over time who kept saying things to me like, you would be a good teacher. And I would just look at them like, what are you talking about? You know, you would be a good teacher. And then, so I started trying it, of course, and I had like private students come to the the studio and I would do private lessons and that forced me to sort of like be, be able to articulate what it is that um, you know just steps along the way um, and uh, and going through like that and I think that it comes about from just being a huge fan of illustration like I'm just a fan uh, I was talking with um, with another friend uh, my, gosh it must be a week ago or so and you know at some point um, he actually brought up um, Charles Santori, who, if you don't know, does amazing, amazing watercolor work as well. And we were talking about sort of his media and drawing and stuff like that. And he was like, yeah, did you know he uses this, this, uh, I think it's Dr. Martin's ink, but I'm not certain, but he uses this like ink. So when he draw, when he paints over it, there's like little blooms of color that add, we were talking about sort of like bringing interest to passive spaces. And so, and I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. And when I was in college, I actually Xeroxed that article out of step-by-step, -step. <laughs> you know, like I knew it, like, it, it, so it's somewhere really early on, I became such a fan of it and really loved that. I mean, I just love it, you know? And so it's nice to be able to pass that along and be able to, you know, bring people along on that journey. Um, I mean, this just like a small area that I'm aware of. I'm aware that there's a lot that I'm unaware of, um, but at the same time, it's like, well, I know this little corner of the universe and it's a lot of fun and there's uh, some really good stuff. So the opportunity to be able to share that with people and to help them to grow, because I mean, more art is better, right? Like more art is better. And so, um, yeah, it's just fun to share. And you had such great practical advice. And if I ever say to somebody, this is practical advice, I mean it as a sincere compliment because it means that it's it works. <laughs> it works every time. It's consistent and it's efficient. And there is a thoughtfulness behind it. So I appreciated everything you were willing to share with us. And I, I appreciate it, even if it wasn't like necessarily part of the class, you were still willing to take the time to talk um, to us about it. Mm -hmm. um, so in this process of teaching students how to do book illustration, um, what have you found has been the most challenging for graduate students to maybe um, deal with in the book illustration process? And are there any tips that you could share with us about 
how we can um, break through that wall, so to speak. Cattle prod. That's how you break through the yeah. wall. <laughs> um, I, golly. Uh, so, well, let me see if I understand. So are you asking, like, can you, can you, can you ask me the question again? I'm not sure that I fully understood. What no, you're like there, during the process, because you broke it up, which was really nice how you broke it up for us. But do you kind of notice like sometimes they're usually that same mistake that students tend to make and you, you kind of see that in the process of it and you go like, they all kind of, not everybody, because you got those students who just go and go through all of it with the plays, but there's that certain part that you see that they're kind of hung up on and you have come up with techniques or things that you've, um, for instructional to make it easier for the students. Mm. So you mean like, like common sort of like pitfalls and then, exactly. and then, you know, how to work your way around those pitfalls. Um, I think possibly there's, there's, I'm sure that there's, there's sort of like different versions of it. You know, it swings from one side to the other. One, one is sort of like a, an over, uh, like, like, like I was talking about, like my own sense of hubris, you know, like, well, I've got this, you know, uh, you have no idea. <laughs> you know, like, like, so that's, that's one that I fall into. Um, so I'm certainly not, not above the fray here. And, um, but the, uh, you know, the, the, one thing that happens um, is that almost always the first thing that everybody wants to do in their book class is to like their omnibus. Like they want to do like a grand space opera with a cast of thousands that takes course. Oh, you know, like it's this giant sprawling story, you know? And so that's, that's one of the things that happens. Um, and the other, the other thing that happens is that oftentimes people will want to write their own stories. And because it is such a, a, it's 10 weeks. So it's only this amount of time that we have to focus on the illustration and all that kind of stuff. So the, um, the, the, so I say, get a story that already exists because it's not a writing class. And thank goodness, because I'm a terrible speller and my English ain't so good sometimes. So, uh, but the, uh, so doing those things really help to sort of like propel things forward. Um, I think that, that possibly, one of the things that that I thought about with the, with regards to this particular class is that um, there is no there's no uh, green flag that's going to drop. There's nobody that's going to say, OK, now you're a professional. You know, I figure that if people are getting the terminal degree in the arts, um, essentially they are looking to become the peers of their professors, just like I was looking to when I when I came up there uh, to do my own class uh, classes. Um, and so it's time to just, you know, like treat it that way. And so like in a, in a real earnest way, you know, I mean, like it's, it's easy to, to get overly serious about it. Um, but of course, like silliness and absurdity definitely play a role, but you definitely want to um, become a little bit more like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm really doing. So, I mean, you were mentioning sort of like being able to analyze, look at other things and sort of derive some inspiration out of that. Um, being able to sort of like walk through and do things um, in, a, in a process, recognizing, of course, there's not one process. There are some, there's some principles, like you said, there's principles that kind of work all the time or nearly all the time, or there's steps that you can take to do that kind of stuff. Um, but the uh, teaching process is, I mean, you're, you're trying to get a collective of people across the line. So some of that, that line is, is already self-defined. In this case, the, the class is like, okay, you're, you're going to basically be creating a story pitch. You know, like that's the goal. 
And so you're going to be going from zero to story pitch in 10 weeks, creating a certain amount of final work, creating a certain amount of like um, sort of like work to help support that. Um, and then being able to do all that, that front loaded work, which is where you start to understand story and everything like that. So, you know, I mean, there's sort of, there's definitely markers along the way. Um, I don't know that, um, I think, you know, aside from sort of like people like myself who are like, you know, overly zealous. Um, um, I think that the other one is when, uh, there's that that line of like trying to recognize that you know this is this is your jam this is what you do this is your professional thing you know um, and sort of getting people beyond that it's one of the things that I'm constantly amazed by is I think people um, achieve and do more than they even knew that they could which means that there's some sort of comfort zone that they're in some sort of either mental barriers or whatever that they find themselves beyond. And then all of a sudden they're usually uncomfortable, right? Cause you're outside the comfort zone. Um, but then also to doing things that they didn't know that they could do. Um, and some of that comes about from, you know, being, being the teacher, uh, just because you're the teacher and, and because you're the teacher, you say, do the thing. And people say, well, I don't want to, but I'll do the thing. Cause you said you're the teacher. And that's sort of like the first level of all that kind of stuff. And, and for, for me personally, what I'm sort of working on right now is, is getting to a place where people want to do that stuff and, and, and sort of like bringing them along um, and trying to help people reveal their own intrinsic motivation. Um, as a staunch anti-authoritarian, <laughs> you know, I don't really want to be the man. I don't want to have people doing things just because um, you know, I said so. I mean, on some level, it's you know, you're gonna end up with somebody like, look, I told you to do it, you have to do it, you know. Um, but for a broad section of the class, I want to try and find a way to help people reveal their own intrinsic motivation to get them to be excited and to want to do the project because that's what they want to do. And ultimately, those projects you mentioned earlier, those were all that's where that stuff comes from. You know, it's I mean, I wasn't I wasn't laughing all the way to the bank with each one of those jobs. But um, like I said, there's some things that are more valuable than money. And I also found that I really, really wanted to do them. You know, so um, when people start to find that stuff, then all the rest of it takes care of itself, you know, because you're you're doing it because you want to. Um, so that's got to be the like one of the big challenges is to help people find that inside themselves or to reveal it for them or some. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for how to do that. So working on it, you know, it's a it's a work in progress, work in progress. He's being modest because he knows because he you would do things. And I was like, like that you know I can tell there's a reason behind it and it's like oh and it's working because you got us to be uncomfortable it was like you know it's like and that I'm glad to know that I could make you uncomfortable that's that's good to know in in a good way because like that segues into the next question which I'm gonna let because I've been doing all the yapping I'm gonna let Robin start asking the rest of the questions so it's uh yes so I agree with Nancy it was a there were parts, I think it hit about week three of the 10 weeks that was extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> but like I had to start killing off darlings and, uh-huh. and stuff in the story. And because I think originally I had 29 rough illustrations and then to pare them down to, you know, a total of eight. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard. And it was very uncomfortable because I think a lot of it was like, oh, you're just like divided into three, three pieces. And it was, it was very uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie. But, uh, 
but I mean, I think part of that too, I mean, so, so Robin, you were, you were, I mean, just, just for, for the, for the folks at home, uh, that, you know, I mean, you had a project that was, that's, that's sort of sprawling epic, right? I mean, that sense that, and what that really points to is that points to a sense of aspiration. That's, that points to like, I have goals that are really big. Um, and so um, it, it, it's, it is challenging to do that because on some level you feel like maybe um, I have to kind of pare this back a little bit, but am I, am I sort of like paring back my goals, <laughs> you know, and it's not, yeah, of course it's, it's not, it's just because you only have 10 weeks and you, you know, like you got to cross the finish line, you know, but you know, so hopefully you go back to doing the rest the other of that. The part you know? that you introduced to us during the class was the networking part. And that was not something that I had personally had a lot of interaction with because I guess it just wasn't something that was a topic of discussion in a lot of the classes unless the class was specifically to that. So I guess the question that we were asking was, um, you have a unique perspective on networking. Um, it was very insightful and, and unique to the class, but then it was something that can be carried over to other areas. Um, why did you decide to include that? <laughs> why did you do that to us yeah. <laughs> there was a little bit of fist like it was it was a lie. little that bit was, you know but we knew it was for good purpose so we wanted yeah. to understand it better <sighs> well first off this is the secret of the class you're not supposed to supposed to let oh. that cat out of the bag but no, the right. um that's fine so when i was uh i lived in san francisco for a time and i was uh just starting to go off and do uh, freelance work. And so I really don't, didn't understand business at all or anything like that. And I'm trying to think of the program. There's a, there's, and it's, and I think it's nationwide, but there's, it's like retired business people helping new business people get started. Uh, and if I can think of the name, I'll, I'll let you know. But, but uh, so basically I was like, okay, well, I'll go do this because I had no clue about any business. And so um, that was part of that experience was just doing that kind of stuff. And um, what's really what, uh, sort of as an aside, uh, but related is that, um, so one of the people that when I was, because because when I did it, like I understand the sweaty palms and the, you know, the ghost white expression that everybody turns and the sort of like the stilted breath. And then of course, like the, ah, you know, but the, um, but I did actually end up calling, I had a, um, a list of people that I called as well. And one of them was Sue Beck, who is the art director over at uh, uh, Carcass, Kirk, Kirkus, nah, dang it, Cricket, Cricket Magazine. Um, and I, I don't want to uh, slaughter the name of the publishing company, but so Cricket and Ladybug and all those children's magazines. And so I called over there and, um, you know, set up an interview and wrote up a script and everything and yes and no and all that kind of you know like decision like if they say no what's an open-ended question what's a closed question and um did an informational interview with her and um and it was great you know she was super nice about it of course and and really was like very upfront and honest about you know the their business and how things work and you know yeah sure we'll keep your name in mind and um, flash forward to literally two weeks ago when I got an email from her. <laughs> She's like, hey, we got this project. I was like, oh, well, excellent. Well, so, um, and I ended up, I was like, well, actually I have a project that's on my desk right now. So I can't, can't take it. So, uh, but do keep me in your Rolodex, you know? Uh, so, but it was really funny because, uh, you know, we had had this experience in class of, 
you know, having people go off and start to do networking um, and, um, you know, <laughs> then here it is like, you know, it's like years later too. I mean, like you know, a lot of years later, um, but it pays off eventually. And, and um, so there's, there was, there was that experience. Also, uh, I'm a member of the SCBWI, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And I was at an LA conference and, you know, like none of the, so what happens is they sort of have like a main event and then they break off into these groups and people go to different places and there's tons of people there. And um, so, which, you know, if you're really introverted, it can be like, oh, a little bit, but it's also like a room full of introverts as well, which is, you know, a special kind of fun. Um, but the, um, so the, all the breakout rooms, like there were like, there's a main thing and the breakout rooms and then the main thing and the break. And so there was like a breakout room time and there was nothing that was interesting. So I just stuck around in the main room and there was two ladies and they talked about, and I don't remember what publishing company they were. It's one of the major five. And they talked about marketing and they talked about um, sort of like their part of the thing. And as they were talking at that point, I'd already sort of like been exposed to the children's book industry enough but what they did was they helped sort of like fill in some missing pieces to really understand the big circle of what it takes to go through a major publisher and get a book made and do all that kind of stuff and so part of that understanding um, helps I think to understand your role in that as well that's why deadlines are important you know it's not just because it's arbitrary or because they say so I mean there's a lot of other things that are stacked on top of that the the printing, the marketing, people have to go off and go sell them to booksellers and, you know, all that other stuff. Um, and, you know, it all stacks up. And so you're a part of this, which is really nice, but um, getting that sort of like broader picture of the publishing industry is really, really helpful. So part of the way that, that we do that is by seeking information. And the other thing that you'll find um, if you, either of you decide to go into teaching is that um, there's oftentimes the like, well, if you see somebody every day, it becomes less and less valuable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you like somebody special comes into class, you're like, oh, I'm listening to every word that they say, even though the teacher just said that like five minutes ago, you know, like, well, what they said was, you know, so it's because it's the, the shock of the new and all that kind of stuff. So having people reach out and start starting to do that um, is valuable. The um, to, and reach out and starting to talk to publishing professionals is valuable. The um, the other thing is then it's also like, like when I did my cold calls, it was cold calls, <laughs> you know, um, and that's like heart attack bill. And in the classroom, we, you, you have a shield. My stinky professor says I have to, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I have to do it. He said, you know, so um, that provides you some sense of, of shield walking into that. But hopefully, and we've seen this now with a couple of students where they talk to publishers and you know, they're like, yeah, send over your books. We want to see them, you know, which is great. I mean, that already separates you from, you know, all the other people who are graduating, you know, in the spring every year, you know, so um, I, I want that. I want, I want your success. I want you to have success. We definitely want that as well. Yeah. And thank sure. you. Thank you for making us do that. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it was like really tough. I was like, oh, there was a little bit of fish pumping it like oh we gotta do this but I was so grateful that um you did have us do it and it was I don't know it was something that was a confidence builder that I think you know to know that these people are really like you said like our directors editors they're actually really nice people they you know want to see good work and they want to see new work and 
so yeah, it kind of, it really made me a little bit more confident about sending out work or even approaching, you know, people in the industry and they're not so lofty on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it has sort of becomes a little bit more familiar, you know, where you start to be able to come to like a little bit of contact with those folks. And the other thing too, is of course, that you're not always trying to sell something to them. You know, like having a situation where you could just build some familiarity is really good um, because the odds of you contacting them on the exact day that they happen to have a job that's sitting on their desk with your name on it is like next to zero. And so if you have some opportunity to just like get some feedback on your work and do stuff like that, and you know, obviously you reach out to more than one person because you can't control everybody else's schedule. People are busy, you know, with art directors and like their, their lives are very, very busy. Their times are very valuable. So, um, you know, if someone's willing to give 15 minutes to talk to you about stuff, then you, you know, take that 15 minutes and run with it, you know? So the other thing that we've, we felt as students is all we ever do is everything revolves around projects and due dates and deadlines. Um, Outside of being a teacher, how do you uh, manage like a work-life balance? (laughs) (laughs) There is none. Uh, You know, I mean, well, with SCAD for me, I mean, it's, it's challenging. So, I mean, the, during, during SCAD times, it's, it's SCAD 100%, you know, and so that involves all the stuff in the classroom, all the stuff out of the classroom, all the sort of bells and whistles that go along with that experience. And so this summer is actually the first summer um, in, well, since I've been there that I've actually took a summer off. You know, I think with coming on the heels of the pandemic and everything else, I mean, like there's always time off, but like, you know, it's like, I'm done. You know, no summer classes, no nothing. Um, so, you know, that's, that's part of it, you know, and what I know about myself is that I'm actually, I, I work very slowly. Um, and so methodically and all that kind of stuff and, and enjoy that. Right. Um, so, um, you know, to work on a, a project or something like that is, is delightful, you know, to be able to sit down and do that kind of stuff. So there, you know, I think that it's just really, you know, one thing at a time is, is how any sense of balance is created by that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about a work-life balance. I don't know about all that kind of stuff. I think that that's why people think that, you know, artists have it easy because it's like, well, what you do is fun, you know? <laughs> yeah it is fun it's also work you know so uh but you know um yeah it's fun you know so there's I think there's people who decide to have like some sort of like job that supports their lifestyle you know what I mean like I've got friends like that who are like yeah I like to go rock climbing or I like to go kayaking or I like to go doing all these things um and or traveling just even you know traveling or something it's like yeah that's great well that's fun for you. So they, they have a job that works, that supports that lifestyle. Right. And so for, um, I think, well, for myself, uh, at least in general artists, I think it's like, well, the, all that stuff supports the art, <laughs> you know, like that's whatever, whatever, whatever. It's just the, the art. That's the, the fun part. That's the part that I want to go to and, you know, you know, do my own self quarantine in my studio. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the pandemic has been as, as difficult for artists as it has been for a lot of the other people. I guess so, yeah. It's yeah. like, great, we have spent all day indoors, awesome. <laughs> Do you have any projects that you're currently working on or future projects that you can tell us about? 
Well, um, I did start a project um, last year, and my goal was to try and you know get a book because every year that I do the the book class, it's like I'm always inspired. Like I'm like, oh, these folks are doing it in ten weeks. Like I want to do it in ten weeks, and so I I did work on developing my own story and and developing all that kind of stuff and continue to refine it. So by the end of last summer, I had some really great feedback from um, some different people. And so this summer was just really like, okay, well, where were we again? What was that all about? And sort of like dusting all that stuff off and and starting to work on it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's my, my goal for the summer is to work on that. Oh, can I interrupt and add and ask the question? So another thing. Okay, so when do you know, because you've worked on multiple projects that you're authoring and illustrating, when do you kind of know inside that sometimes you have to let that go because it's not working or you move on to another project? Because I kind of wonder how you make that decision or. It's usually time. Usually time is up. That's it. Those, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. Like, okay, time to go back to SCAD, time to, you know, do something else. And you're like, well, but I, you know, so, I mean, the, um, no, I don't really know where that line is. You know, it's usually some sort of like external deadline, honestly, because I'll sit there and work on something for until the cows come home. I don't know. I don't have any cows, but I assume they come home late. I don't know. So, yeah, I don't, there's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that one. I don't know. Just what do you what do you what do you do? What do you do when you work on your projects? Well, I mean, like sometimes like uh, I wonder like if you're because as an author illustrator and there's a story that you, you know, invested a lot of time into. And I could see that with like the stories that you shared with us in class, like because you brought out that big box. I was like, oh, my gosh, you brought out that copier box. And you're just like <laughs> on his drafting table. I was like that is and it was a beautiful story. They were like. I was just like, oh, that's a beautiful story. That's beautifully illustrated. But then I was like, oh, he started on this other story. And mm -hmm. I'm seeing these other things. Do you just like let go of the other story or are you juggling two at the same time? Oh, I don't juggle. I'm not a juggler. Okay. I, you know, the, so the first one, the one, the, the, the box story, um, like that had, I'd worked on that for a long time. And that's what you see a lot in there is, you're asking about like the stuff that we do in class, like that's where that's that's me working it out, right? That's just so rather than having you fill up a box full of stuff, I can say, well, here's what ended up working. <laughs> you know, like I found 99 ways to not make a light bulb. Uh, and so you could just focus on the one way that you can make a light bulb. So um, with that one, it had gone off and sort of been um, I had people, you know, publishers look at it and all that kind of stuff. And it just never caught, you know, I never was like, was, okay, well. And so what I found was that by moving on to a different story um, that all of a sudden, you know, like you're able to get back to, like it took them a long time to, to work that the first one up to a certain level, but this next one, you know, like took less time because there's already like all those sort of like mistakes and, and misstarts and, and false steps and all that sort of thing. The, it had already happened, right? So you don't do it again. Um, and you, it's always still sort of like an exploration of trying to figure out how to do those things. And you still have to explore and, and do all that sort of creatively. But um, there's, you know, a bunch of stuff that I didn't do. <laughs> so the, um, yeah, so I don't know, I, you know, it, it is definitely like the next project came along a little quicker and, and 
so we'll see. I mean, it's still, it's Brian Collier once said, it's not a book until it's a book. So, you know, with those, I mean, at that point, there's still projects, you know, I mean, if they, if they found a home with a publisher, that would be fabulous, you know, and, and who knows? Um, I mean, that would be, that's, that's my dream, of course, is to, to get that stuff published, but um, until it does, then it's a project, you know. So what is something that you would tell yourself if you could go back in time about your art journey? What is something you could tell yourself? When would I go back to? When, 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 when in time would you go back to? Would it be like, would it be like little kid Brian? Would it be like college student Brian? Would it be like high school Brian? Because I mean, as, as artists, I think we're always self-deprecating as a way of kind of just kind of coping with putting yourself out there because art is so personal sometimes and it can be you know viewed by other people that don't understand the message that you're trying to to get across so like myself I've had moments where I've doubted myself as an artist and then I've just kind of pushed through it because I was either forced to because of deadlines or something like that and then would you what would you tell yourself if you could go back into those times and say you know hello Hello. It we lost you. It lost you, but I'll cut that part out. So you were talking about the paintings you were working on. <laughs> well, uh, I'll, yeah. Okay. So um, let's think here now. The as far as sort of like how to push beyond those those moments uh, of like you know how do you encourage yourself? I think it, it is about finding that sense of inner motivation. Um, and, you know, I think that probably for everybody, that's going to be a little bit different. But for me, I, I distinctly remember moments where um, I, I came home and I was listening to music and I turned down the lights and was just sitting there in my comfy chair and just, you know, and having a good time. And, and I had my sketchbook out and I was drawing um, and I just for the first time in a long time, just drew for fun and tried to remember what it was that when you're a child, when you're drawing or when you're painting or when you're making work that um, at that point, it's not even work, right? It, it, it's just because that's what you do. Uh, and so, um, I, you know, maybe it's just because of how you understand the world around you as you process it for through visual arts or through whatever dance or something, who knows. But for me, it's, you know, I was like, I was just started, like, I just allowed myself the, opportunity, time, and space. I gifted myself the gift of time. Like you just go there and play and have fun and, and, and do that. And I think that that was really valuable just because I think that, like you say, there's a big focus on projects and deadlines and this and that and the other thing. And then there's the pressure of being at school and, you know, trying to, you know, get yourself all sorted out over the course of the next two or three years. And, and, you know, there's, that's a lot of, of, uh, uh, invisible kittens to juggle. Um, and then to give you yourself in the middle of that, the gift of time and the gift of like doing it for pleasure, like just doing it because it's fun <laughs> and just like playing around a little bit, um, without any sort of like trying to hang your hat on it real hard. Um, I think that those moments are the moments when you start to find, um, your voice, you start to find what it is that you enjoy doing, so I think that going back and remembering when you were younger, what it was that was enjoyable for you. What did you like doing when you were younger? What did you like looking at? What did you like, um, you know, what was like the stuff that you did that was 
that you felt good, you know, like that, that was like, you know, inwardly feeling good. Um, I think those are the things that help to bring us through those sort of doldrums and, you know, the, all the other stuff of trying to meet deadlines and, and all that kind of stuff. So I would, I, you know, some people, it's different. Some people are much more, um, you know, extrovertive about this, you know, they, they want to go off and go, like, you know, blast it out into the world and all that kind of stuff. And that is fun for them, you know? So I think like finding your own personal sense of fun. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I mean, it's fine. Um, so second to last question, after you created all the art that you wanted to make and you could only leave behind three final truths, what would they be? Three final truths? Yes, three final truths. Because as artists, I find that a lot of people will just say, well, I'm going to leave my legacies, my artwork. It's going to be all the stuff that I made, but we're more than just the art that we create um, as people. So I always like to hear what are your three final truths? Golly. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, life is but a dream. Merrily, merrily, merrily. Um, you know, golly, you know, that. I think really good exercise to start to approach what it is to figure out what the, what your truth is. Um, and I see like, there's sort of like a connecting thread between some of these questions here. I think that the, a, a fruitful exercise for somebody is to really kind of earnestly sit down, you know, either with yourself or whatever, um, you know, and think about your own mortality or thinking about people who you know that have died and thinking about your end of life, because um, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Um, and then, I don't know, for me personally, when I've gone through those experiences where people near me and loved ones have died, that it has a really great sort of clarifying effect on, um, on your world. You know, you, you all of a sudden become really, really aware of what matters and what doesn't matter. If, you know, someone cuts you off in the grocery store line, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, in and, and five minutes from now, you're not going to be remembering that, let alone in five years or 10 years or whatever. Um, and so when uh, you start to think about those things about like, well, what, what do you want at the end of your life and, and how do you want to be remembered and all that sort of stuff? And, and um, you know, it usually boils down to, for me, you know, uh, kindness and compassion and sort of um, being that person you know, uh, being the best person that, that I can be, you know, just as a human being, first off, first rule is be human. Um, and then with regards to sort of like legacy and things like that, um, I mean, I, I do want to make good work and I do want it to go off there in the, out into the world um, because it's sort of, there's a, there's a cycle that goes along with that. Uh, and, um, you know, I want to participate in that, in that, but I don't know, I, you know, I don't know that there is sort of, you know, change, change is good. I don't know, you know, like, you like come up with some kind of bumper sticker, you know, what a long, strange trip it's been, you know, I don't know, you know, like, <laughs> universal truths are a little bit, a little bit uh, iffy, a little bit iffy. I don't know. Do you have universal truths? I mean, is, is there stuff that, that you think about? Go ahead, Robin. 
I think I do. I mean, as I, as I get through life and things change, I mean, plan A never works out. Plan B is typically what happens in life. And I just, I think as a, you know, as an artist, I, I have to let go of certain things and then it kind of applies to my, my own life where certain things are just adapted and you just learn how to kind of go with the flow and not let every little thing bother you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, my friend, my friend Jim was just telling me this. He's like, there's, you know, there's a, when you think about like how to plan for going forward, you know, there's, there's a million ways that it can go wrong. Right. And if you really let yourself, you can start to discover all of those million ways. Like this is one way that it could go wrong, could go wrong that way. And it could go wrong this way. And that could happen. It would throw me on my track. That You you can find all those ways. There may be a million ways for it to go wrong, but there's only one way for it to go right. And I think that you have to find a way to commit yourself to it and recognize like what you're saying, Robin, which is like, how do you go along with flow? How do you become, you know, um, uh, uh, what's his name uh, mr rogers he's like you know you're you're uh you're like you're adrift i'm trying to remember a quote uh i won't remember the quote but his, the gist of it was basically <laughs> merrily 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 life is but a dream you know row 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 your boat you're, you're like you're in a boat and you're going downstream and you're going with the flow of the stream um he says but you have a rudder you can steer the, you can steer your boat, (laughs) you know, like, and, and he called it a controlled drift. And I think that that is that, that idea where you're talking about how to, um, you know, make it through your life and, and be able to do things that are going to be fulfilling on some level, you know, and then hopefully that, that, that in itself becomes a sort of virtuous cycle for everybody around you as well. I can agree with all that. (laughs) <laughs> all right nancy well you don't get you don't have to dodge the question what about you <laughs> i noticed that you you swiftly pivoted to to robin you're like i don't know robin what do you think so um because we've been talking about all your great work where can uh the audience go to see your um illustrations well, um, I mean, you can always go to brianbozeillustration.com. You can go to my Instagram, which is Studio Bose Art. Um, eh, that, that's a good spot. Those are good spots. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll add them in the description box. And thank you so much, Professor Professor Bose, for speaking with us on your day. Pleasure, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a joy. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to My Creative Life. Bye. <laughs>